0: Situation, this is where Jonah finds himself. See, when we look at Jonah chapter one, God was very, very clear as to what Jonah was to do. A lot of times in our lives, we're not clear necessarily, we don't feel like it's clear what God's calling us to. And as a pastor, I counsel a lot of people that are trying to figure out God's will for their life. God made it real clear to Jonah. I mean, he like he told him where to go, he told him what to say. So Jonah's issue here isn't not knowing what to do. It's just not wanting to do what God said to do. And so the reverse of that, where we love to ignore our children sometimes when they're just too much, our kids love to ignore us as well, don't they? And, and we'll, we'll give them those instructions. And, and even this morning, my kids were running in the hallway and, and, and they, were, they, were, they were boxing with each other. And, and, I'm, and I'm before church and I literally walking in the hallway and I said, No boxing in the hallway. See, as a parent, you come up with rules that you don't even think you'd ever have to come up with, right? And as soon as I said, No boxing in the hallway, you know what they did? Started to box me in the hallway. And I, I, I thought, I said, Why are you literally doing the opposite of what I just said? Right, because they're kids, and we do the same thing with God. This is what Jonah does, but but so sometimes we have to really get our kids' attention, right? And so when I first said it, I said it nicely, but the second time I said it in that dad tone, right, that dad tone. The kids knew I wasn't playing anymore. Like they knew, like I was serious, and they needed to stop boxing the hallway. Jonah gets like a severe dad tone, right? Jonah gets thrown into the sea, swallowed by a fish. I mean, his desire here is to die his desires. He would rather die than go to Nineveh. He would rather die than follow in obedience to what God has clearly called him to. But God doesn't give him death. God miraculously keeps him alive in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights. And then he spits him up onto the sea and we pick up there. So if you would stand with me, if you've got your Bibles, Jonah chapter three, if you don't have your Bibles, it should be In the Bible in front of you, it should say the story on the front of it, page 634 in that Bible. We're going to read the whole chapter. Chapter 3. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So... Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, as we look at your word this morning, um, I pray that you would speak your grace to us. And Lord, for those of us that need it to be spoken gently, that you would speak it gently, but for those of us that need you to speak it forcefully, I need you to kind of throw a dad tone down. I pray that you would speak to us in the way that we need to be spoken to. That you would lead us to repentance this morning, that we'd find our hope in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria, as we've discussed, and Assyria is the enemies of the Israelites. A fun fact for you that I learned in my studies is that Nineveh, the word Nineveh actually comes from a root, root word meaning fish place, and there's this ancient. Uh, history with Nineveh of this belief of a fish god that's half man, half fish. And so in God's sovereign plan, he sends about the closest thing to a half fish, half man that we can think of in Jonah, who's been in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights, his skin being bleached by the gastric juices of this fish as he shows up into the city of Nineveh. And God gets there for him. What I need you to understand is when we look at Jonah chapter 3, what I want you to see, and you'll see it on the back of your bulletin there, Jonah 3 is about God's relentless grace for a rebellious prophet and a rebellious people. Jonah 3 is about God's relentless grace for a rebellious prophet and a rebellious people. And so our first thing to look at is God's grace for a rebellious prophet. See, Jonah was a prophet that was, was fairly well known in Israel. Um, I think we may look at it in a couple of weeks, but you look at 2 Kings chapter 14 and, and you see some situations that Jonah's in where he, where he, is, he is very pro-Israel. He's very nationalistic. He's very, uh, very known in his area uh, as being a, a great preacher and a great prophet. But there's this rebellion in him that he doesn't, he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. We've talked about going to Nineveh as an Israelite prophet during this time would would really honestly be equivalent to you going into Taliban headquarters on the day after September 11th and you going to bring God's grace and mercy to those people. And so there's obvious reasons why Jonah would not want to be a part of this because we've talked about this. It would, it would go one of two ways, right? Either they would receive him and they would hear his message and God would show grace and mercy on a people that he considers to be enemies and not worthy of God's grace and mercy, which is not what Jonah wants to happen. Or they're going to see him for who he is, as an enemy of the city that he's in, and they're going to kill him where he stands, if not torture him slowly before they do so. And so he doesn't see any outcome here that he's okay with. And so he doesn't want to go. But God's grace gets its way, as we said before. And You look at these first four verses. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Everybody say the second time saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth, huge city. (coughs) Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out yet 40 days. This is his whole message, listen. Now we don't know if this is the entirety of the message or if this is just a summary of his message. but We know that this is the essence of his message. We know that this is not a turn or burn message, right? This is not, if you don't repent, he doesn't say, in our minds, I think, we think in the story, we think that he says, if you don't repent, God will overturn you. He doesn't say that. We don't see that. He says, you got 40 days and then God's going to overturn you. And we know that he doesn't give a clear action step of what to do next, because the, the king gives this decree later in the chapter of repentance, and then he asks this unbelievable question. He goes, and who knows? Maybe, maybe God will relent if we do this. And so he doesn't even give them this clear message. This is his entire message, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, there's an intentional mirroring here between the first three verses in chapter 1 and the first three verses in chapter 3. If you look, you'll see, if, if you were to look and see and read all this together, you would notice that. You'll see in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. In 3, verse 1, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Verse one, chapter 1, verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for their evil. Chapter 3, verse 2, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. One, three, but Jonah rose to flee, and he went to Tarshish. Three, three, so Jonah rose and went to Nineveh. This is an incredible show of God's grace to a rebellious and still reluctant prophet. We talked last week about his imperfect repentance and how God's grace is so relentless that he can even show us grace in the midst of our imperfect repentance. And we have to understand though that second chances are based on God's grace, not our worthiness of his grace, right? Grace is never based off of worthiness. The reason Jonah, listen, the reason Jonah didn't want the Ninevites to receive God's grace and mercy is because in his mind, they weren't worthy of it. And he misses the point that neither is he. And we've got to see that all of us stand on level ground at the foot of the cross. All of us are sinners who have committed high treason against the king of the universe. And he would be right and just to punish us eternally for the nature of ourselves, of just who we are. Not only just the things we've done, but who we are. Who we are people who want to sit on that throne we want the throne that god has in our lives that is evidenced in the idolatry in our lives is evidenced in our rebellion and reluctance to obedience in our lives just like jonah last week we said when we read this we got to see how bad jonah is and then realize it's a mirror of our own sin and second chances are based on god's grace not our worthiness now does God, God we, we, we've heard before, God is a God of second chances. So does God give second chances? Obviously so. We see it here in the story of Jonah. Uh, a study from, by Lifeway said that a large majority of Americans do believe that God gives second chances. More than 80% of respondents strongly agree or somewhat agree that God gives second chances. Uh, amongst Christians, the number jumps to more than 93% believing that God gives second chances. With Scripture as a guide, we can see this, that God does give second chances, that, that God may extend a second chance when we repent of the sin that brought the need for the second chance. When, when we repent of our sin, God will sometimes give us a second chance, but we have to also understand that God will not abide in our sin and that second chances are not guaranteed. Right? We, if you think about it, you look into Scripture and not everybody gets a second chance right? Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts, we talked about it in our Bible study group this morning, they, they lie about some things financially that they're doing with the church and God kills them, right? We, we talked about like, to me, like my least favorite in, in all of the Bibles, the guy who trips and falls and tries to catch himself on the Ark of the Covenant and God kills him. We, we laughed about that a lot in our Bible study group this morning, because like, imagine being the guy who accidentally tripped him and like every time you see his wife and his kids, you're just like, oh, I'm so sorry. Right? As one clumsy guy to another, that story is really scary to me because I would totally be that guy that would trip and fall and try to catch my balance. But we also see, uh, Daryl brought up a really great point that we see the, the thief, the two thieves on the cross, right? That when Jesus is on the cross, and there's thieves on either side. This is their chance. And one repents and one just makes fun of Jesus, and they don't get another chance. Second chances are not guaranteed. We have to understand that, our gra- that God's grace is about Him, not about us. Jonah himself says that salvation belongs to the Lord. If you looked in the end of chapter 2, we see that uh, he prays this prayer, and towards the end of his prayer, he says, but with the voice of thanksgiving... I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah began to go into the city. Chapter 3, verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days and none of us shall be overthrown. In Hebrew, this is just five words. That's all this is. Five words. Now, again, we don't know if this is just the summary of his message but we know that this is the essence of his message and so here's some things i want you to get when you see this is is one is when we understand that salvation belongs to the lord and we look at the story of jonah kind of all of our excuses for not sharing the gospel with people kind of go out the window don't they right we we think about it and we think what are some fears that we have that keep us from sharing the gospel one of our fears is that we won't be very good at it Right? Our fears. is, I don't know what to say. I don't know if I'll say the right thing. I don't know all the answers to all the questions. The great thing is it's not dependent upon that. It's dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we see here in Jonah that he's not, he may be very good at it normally, but in this situation, he doesn't seem to do a very good job. There's no funny stories. There's no illustrations. There's no application. There's no, I mean, it's just a five word. You got 40 days and God's going to destroy this city. You got 40 days. The text seems to imply that he says it repetitively, that he walks around the city and kind of just says it over and over. But he doesn't seem to do a very good job. Another one is we go, I don't know that I can relate to them. I don't know if I can relate to those young people. I don't know if I can relate to that that ethnicity. I don't know if I can relate to those people. I got nothing in common with my neighbors. I got nothing there, right? Jonah is an enemy. In an enemy city here bleached skin standing out like a sore thumb there is nothing comfortable about the situation that he's walking into he can't stand the people that he's talking to and they can't stand him so it kind of throws that excuse out as well because salvation belongs to the Lord not to you All right see we struggle with what God's called us to we struggle with following God's will like we've talked about and so sometimes the problem isn't that we don't know God's will, right? Sometimes it's just that we don't want to do it. Mark Twain said, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that concern me, it's the parts that I do, right? It's, it's, it's these parts that I do understand about Scripture. It's these, it's these callings that I know God has given me that are difficult for me to follow. You go, I don't know, Pastor, but, but sharing the gospel is scary with people because what if they reject me? Well, Jonah's scary is a little different than your scary, isn't it? Jonah's scary isn't what if they reject me and then they make fun of me or it gets awkward. Jonah's scary is what if they reject me and torture me and kill me? Well, I don't know that I really like that person. Jonah's heart wasn't even fully in what he was doing, and yet God... God in his great, listen, this this has got to be an encouragement to you. God in his great and amazing and relentless grace for a rebellious prophet uses him for his glory. Now, as a pastor, this concept is both humbling and encouraging. The Apostle Paul says in Corinthians that it's through the folly that we preach that God chooses to save some. And that verse as a pastor kind of just rains in my mind and my heart almost every single Sunday I kind of pray through that before I walk up into the pulpit because it doesn't matter how well I do Right, And so, so the humbling part is is I could, I could put in 40 hours preparing a sermon. Never done that, but I could. I could put in 40 hours and I could test it out and I could preach it 17 different times other places so that I perfect every illustration and I know exactly where you're going to laugh and I know exactly which point that's going to zing you and, and hit you. And, and I, could, I could craft the whole thing perfectly and God not do anything in you. Or I could come up here I always, in my mind, use baseball analogies for sermons, right? When I get done, in my mind, I'm like, I don't think I've ever had a home run, but, like, in my mind, I'm like, you know, that was kind of a bunt, and I, I really, really, like, barely stole first. Like, I got on base. And the only reason I got on base is because I read the Bible out loud, right? And then there are times where I go, you know, that was, a, that was a decent base head. I got it over the right fielder's head, and I got to first base or, you know. But it doesn't matter, right? I could come up here and strike out. And if God were to choose to do so through the folly that we preach, God chooses to save someone. That's very encouraging as it is also humbling. But it should be for you as well. We should not let insecurities keep us from sharing the gospel with our friends, with our family members because the effectiveness doesn't come from your abilities or your comfortability. The effectiveness comes from the power of the Holy Spirit, because salvation belongs to the Lord. But Not only does God show his grace for a rebellious prophet, but he's God's grace for, shows his grace for a rebellious people. Verses 5 through 10. We see this unbelievable effectiveness of Jonah's short, short message. Not even turn or burn, just burn. And what do we see here? And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. These are signs of repentance. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, right? That throne is where the king stays to show himself in, in a higher position. He removed his robe, that that regal sign of his royalty, of his power, of him being better than you. He covered himself with sackcloth, humbled himself like a commoner, and then he sat God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, how they repented, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. The message that Jonah gives is a bad news message. and we got to get we've got to understand the bad news remember back when we talked about the Sermon on the Mount, we looked at the Beatitudes, and we said that the Beatitudes start with spiritual bankruptcy and mourning over our sin. That listen, we can't rejoice and understand truly the grace of the gospel until we are broken over our sins. And this is what we see in the Ninevites. We see them with sackcloth and ashes and humiliating themselves and lowering their pride and calling in dependence on God. Why? Because brokenness leads to repentance. We don't like to tell the bad news. Nobody likes sharing bad news with people. Nobody wants to be the bearer of bad news. But we got, we got to understand it. We got to get it. We can't, listen, we can't just tell people God loves you and God has a plan for you. That is true. I remember going to a summer camp uh, when I was in New Orleans as a youth pastor, and i just started there. They'd already had summer camp scheduled. I've told some of you this story before. And I remember I had nothing to do with scheduling the youth camp, so we get there. And the guy's gospel message was that God loves you and God has a plan for you. And he was talking about that night, using his illustration of his whole sermon, kind of, if your life was a movie. And, and his, his call to response at the end of that message, without ever talking about sin, without ever talking about the cross, without ever talking about the death of Jesus Christ that was necessary to pay for our sins, that that should have been our death. We should have been on the cross. Without talking about any of that, he just says, if your life was a movie, would it be a blockbuster hit? Would people want to see it? If you'll let God be the director of your life, you'll have a blockbuster hit. Who wants that? And had everybody raise their hands. Of course, almost every single kid in the place raised their hands. Why would you not? And then he just let them through, praying a prayer. I remember going to a youth event, same same church. I I, I quit letting other people schedule the youth events. What are they saying? And the guy just said, every, he, he said, every single person here, repeat after me. Again, without explanation of the cross, without explanation of sin, without explanation of repentance, without any of those things, just everybody repeat after me. And he said these prayers and everybody repeat words. And then he said, everyone in here is now a new creation in Christ. I was really thinking, what is wrong with this guy? Well, listen, that's a, I'll be honest, that's a lot more fun to preach. But we got we to gotta understand the bad news because it's brokenness. We have to be broken To understand. And some of you, your prayer today is a dangerous prayer, but a wonderful prayer is maybe God needs to break you. Maybe you got to find yourself in the belly of the fish. Maybe there's some sort of addiction in your life, some sort of thing that's holding on to you, some sort of secret sin that you're not willing to confess, and you think it's hidden. And maybe you need to be broken, and you need to get just how much you need the cross. Do you see the desperation in the king as he puts out this decree, as he humiliates himself, and he goes, who knows? Listen, this isn't even a guarantee in his mind. There's not even a guarantee that God will relent. He just says, who knows, maybe. So the bad news is that brokenness is required. But the good news is God's kindness leads us to repentance but we don't understand God's kindness until we understand our need for it. We don't understand how kind and gracious and how relentless His grace is for us until we understand just how much we need His kindness, just how broken we really are. And so when you fully start to grasp your brokenness and the bad news, then you'll get just how amazing the good news of God's kindness is. This is is scandalous grace. This is scandalous grace that we, we have committed high treason against the king of the universe. We've walked into his throne room and taken his throne and, and said, I'm the king. As we have run towards our idolatry but his relentless grace and mercy. This king cries out in verse nine, who knows? The sad part is Jonah knows. We know that because if we read chapter four, he says, I knew you were going to do this. Here's the really cool part. We know. We know. We know what the answer is and instead, it, it, let me just challenge you for a moment, instead of just watching the world crumble around us right now and being a, a Facebook commentator, a Facebook warrior or, or, or a coffee cup warrior and you just you talk with your friends about how messed up the world is and how messed up politics are and how messed up the, ec- the economy is and how messed up this is, instead of just sitting here complaining with each other about everything that's messed up in the world, we know Who knows? The world doesn't know. The world is doing whatever it can to try to find peace in the hearts. But we know, the children of God, the church, we know if the church were to be the church that God has called us to be, it would change this world. It would make a difference if we would quit running to Tarshish and go and tell. The king doesn't know, but we know. Your, your lost family members and friends and neighbors and co-workers, they don't know. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to find hope for eternity. They don't know how to find freedom from addiction. They don't know how to find freedom from their brokenness and how to be brought back into, into wholeness and in relationship with the God who created the universe and desires that relationship with them. They don't know. But child of God, you know. What are you doing with that knowledge? Sadly, many of us, like Jonah, just sit. Here's the other thing, child of God. Some of you, you know, but you keep trying to cling to those idols that you can't even get a hold of. You know, you know the answers. You grew up in church. And you know the answers to this. You know the answers to these questions. And and you know, yet, if you look at your life, ask yourself a question. If you have grown up in church, I want you to ask yourself a question right now. Every single one of you, nobody gets to ignore me. When you look at the fruit of the Spirit over the last several years of your Christian life, have you seen those increase and grow? Have you been transforming more and more into the image of Christ? Are you more loving and kind and gentle and good or and patient? Do you do you have these? Is, is the fruit of the Spirit growing in you, or are you just as angry and frustrated as you were years ago? Who knows? You know. It's not a matter of knowledge for you. It's not, a, it's, Jonah, it's not that Jonah didn't know what to do. It's not that Jonah didn't know what God would do. It's that what God had for his will was not what God wanted. So often, rather than seeking God's will for our life, we're seeking God to align his will with ours. And that, as well, is idolatry. It's hard not to think of Peter's story in this. Peter denies Christ three times, and he gets a second chance, right? Three, three times Peter denies Jesus. I mean, he told Jesus he would never do this, right? He told him, hey, everybody else may fall back, not me. I love you more than anybody else loves you. I got this. And then three times, and not even to scary people, right? One of was a little girl. He denies Christ. And so what what does Jesus do? Jesus gives him a second chance. But just like Jonah, right? In Jonah's second chance, he gives him that second chance. And and in that second chance, he says, arise and go to Nineveh. So Jesus takes him back, and, and, and his first question is, hey, do you still think you love me more than those guys? Yeah, you don't. Lord, you know I love you. Yeah, but do you... I mean, but like, do you agape unconditionally love me? Like, do you love me more than all these other disciples love me? Lord, you know I love you. I mean, do you at least love me like a brother, Peter? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And what else does he say to him when all three of those go and feed my sheep? When God gives you a second chance, it is not for you to sit on the bench The second chance is for you to make much of Jesus in your life. That's why he's given it to you. He's given you that second chance so that you'll use your life for his glory, for his purposes. It's not a second chance so you can continue to run to Tarshish. It's not a second chance so you can continue to chase after idols that you'll never be able to get a hold of fully. It's not a second chance so you continue to try to get God to line up with what you want to do. It's a second chance for you to line up with what God has for you. And while I don't know the specifics of what God's called you to, I know very clearly God calls his people to go and tell. In the chapter before Peter's second chance, Jesus says, just as God sent me, I send you. All over the New Testament and even in the first chapter of Acts is this idea of Jesus sending his disciples to do the work of ministry. In the in the, in the letters written by Paul, there's this constant idea of going and doing the work of ministry that God has called you to. That the way that God is going to reconcile this whole broken, messed up world to himself is through you, church. It's through you. You've to, got to go. You've got to tell because if you look in the Bible, you'll notice this interesting trend that God uses people. Think about it. I I can't find, and maybe you know of it, I can't find any single story in the Bible of someone repenting and turning to Jesus or turning to God without God using someone to be a part of that process. Now, could God do that? Yeah. Think about, think about Paul's conversion, Saul, as he's on the road to Damascus and Jesus literally drops down before him, blinds him and says, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, the one you have been persecuting. Right then and there, you could have said, that's it. And then Paul could have just turned and started to do it. But no, in God's sovereign plan, he has him go blind and suffering and has who? Ananias, not the same Ananias from before, but Ananias. Come and pray over him and baptize him. And that's where we see his salvation. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip gets to go, Star Trek, beat me up, Scotty. Transport immediately to the Ethiopian eunuch. Why did God do that? Because God wanted to use Philip to do it. Could God have just shown up to the Ethiopian eunuch and said, Hey, Ethiopian eunuch, that thing that you're reading, let me explain it to you now. And then the Ethiopian eunuch become this believer. He could have done that, but he didn't. Could your neighbor, could could God show up to your lost family member or neighbor and just drop in and share the gospel with them if he wanted to? He could because he's God and he can do anything he wants, but I bet you his plan is for you to do it. God doesn't need you, but it's his plan to use you. It is his plan to use you. You may not be running to... you You may not be intentionally running completely the wrong direction. You may not be hearing God's plan to go to whatever your Nineveh is and decide to go exactly the other direction, but it's just as bad to sit in apathy. It's just as disobedient to sit and watch lost people go to hell all over the world. When God very clearly has called His people to go and tell Romans ten tells us that they've got to hear it in order to come to Jesus and how do they, they in order for them to hear it, someone's got to preach it to them and who's how does how someone going to go preach to them if no one's sent and and we see through that this idea that you've been sent listen you if you are a follower of Christ you. Very clear understanding of application here for you. No one is exempt. You don't have to pray for God's will. You don't have to pray for God to lead you to this. You don't have to get a warm fuzzy in your heart. There doesn't have to be a burning bush. God doesn't have to show up and speak to you. God doesn't have to throw you into the belly of a fish. He gave us his word. And though you may not be running to Tarshish, if you're not following God's commands to share the gospel, you are a rebellious prophet. Nick Ripkin, wrote a couple of books, Insanity of God and Insanity of Obedience, and he studied the persecuted church in the world. And he has this really harsh indictment. He says this, those who number themselves among the followers of Jesus, but don't witness for him, are actually siding with the Taliban. The brutal regime that rules North Korea The secret police in communist China and the Somalis and Saudi Arabias of the world, believers who do not share their faith, aid and abet Satan's ultimate goal of denying others access to Jesus. Our silence makes us accomplices. Our silence makes us accomplices. We got to get the bad news because if we understand the bad news then we understand what's going on around us, we will be compelled to tell others. Here, we talk about how we exist to redeem the church and the community with the gospel. We're making disciples and that's our vision statement. But our mission is that the way that you live that out each day is to love God, right? The first and greatest commandment, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And we tell you, then love his church, love his church, Jesus' church, the capital C church, and then love people, because that's the second greatest commandment, right? We should love our neighbor as ourselves. This is what Jesus says. He says, that all the law and the prophets hinge on these two ideas. What I need you to understand is when we fail to share the gospel is because we are failing in that mission. We're failing to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're failing to love his church and we're failing to love people. That's really the reason that we, share, we don't share the gospel. Because we don't love God with everything in us. We love ourselves more. Like Jonah, we love when God shows us mercy, but we don't love to show mercy. We talked here before about the stats that a conservative estimate is that in a three-mile radius of where we're sitting right now, there's 60,000 people that really don't even go to church. Right? Right? So we're not speaking necessarily, we don't know their souls. We know chances are if they're not regularly involved in a church because one of the evidences of salvation, one of the evidences that you are truly a child of God is you plug yourself into the family of God. There's 60,000 people. 60,000, everybody say 60,000. 60,000 people in a three-mile radius of where we're sitting right now. don't know the bad news they don't get it they don't know the good news and we have all sorts of excuses why we don't tell them when you hear that that there are 60,000 people in a three-mile radius of this church do you i don't want you to just want to reach them so that we can increase our numbers in here right the ultimate goal here isn't to grow this church I want to see this church grow, and I want to see it do mighty things, but that is not the ultimate goal here. When you hear that 60,000 people in a three-mile radius of here are going to die and go to hell, they may not get that second chance. I want you to feel one thing. Kids, you got your bulletins, kids? You guys figure out what that word is? Don't know, yell it out yet. I'm going to count to three, and when I say three, I want you to yell as loud as you can that one word, all right? One... Two, three. Compassion. All right, so now I'm going to do it on three. I want everybody, everybody say this. You ready? One, two, three. Compassion. It ought to be a compassion for people that compels us to go tell them. See, God uses Jonah in the midst of his begrudging obedience. And sometimes that's all we have to offer. And here's what I'd tell you. Go for it. Go for it. Step out on obedience before the emotions are there. Don't let emotions be what drive you because the enemy will always use that to keep you on the shelf. You may not feel compassion. You may hear that 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 many people are out there that are gonna die and go to hell and you may for a second be like, well, that stinks. I hope somebody does something about that. And you may not even have any compassion for them. And here's what I'd tell you. You know how you'll get compassion for them? You get to know them. Go talk to your neighbor. Do you know your neighbor's names? Have you talked to them? Have you prayed with them? Have you seen if they're believers? Can you share the gospel with people? Have you you gotten to know these people in such a way? Because when we get to know them, all of a sudden we start to have affection for them, right? When we're aware of them and then we have affection for them, it'll lead to action, head, heart, hands, habits. Sound familiar? So maybe you don't feel like going out there and doing it. I'd tell you to go ahead and just do it anyway. God uses people, and then God's people use God's word. Jonah tells God's message. Listen, God can do whatever he wants, and he can use you however he wants, whether you do a good job of sharing the gospel or not. But here's what I would challenge you is understand what evangelism is, is that God's people point people to God's word. We do a lot of ministry in this church in our community. We do blessings in a backpack on Fridays for the school next door. We just sent a team to Haiti. We've, we've had teams go rehabilitate, re, rehabilitate a, uh, a home, uh, renovate a home for, for her song and ministry for, for victims. And um, we do a lot of different things. Um, but here's what I need to understand. We need to do those things. Those things aren't evangelism. Right? If you give somebody a free meal, you give them $5, you buy them lunch, you give them a coat, you, you take care of them, you should do those things. But that's not evangelism. You smile, you tell people God loves you, that's great. Show them what God's love looks like. Take them to God's word. Now how do you take them to God's word if you don't know God's word? So you got to know God's word. Well, how do you know God's word? You spend time in God's word. You discuss God's word with others. You, you learn about God's word. Think back to the habits sermon. Right? We meditate on God's word. We memorize God's word. We share God's word. This is how we get to know it. And when we get to know it, we can use it. And we can point people to it because it'll be God's word that transforms people, not yours. Right? And, and we got we got to stop just soft pedaling. I'm not telling you to get a bullhorn and go out and yell at everybody. Repent. You got 40 days. I'm not telling you to do that. I am telling you, we've got to be a little bolder in what we're doing. We've got to help people understand the bad news and the good news. And we've got to do that through God's word, not just through our opinions. If you want help being trained on how to do that, we'd love to do that. Look, get your Connect card. Let us know that. And we'll, we'll set up a meeting and, and teach you how to share, share the gospel. My prayer is that is that we would see people start to get saved. We've got a baptism today, and I'm grateful for that. I want to start seeing more and more baptisms here that I have nothing to do with. That's my prayer as a pastor. Is I, I want to hear from you. You've shared the gospel with somebody, and they've gotten saved, and, and so it's time for them to get baptized, and I just, I just get to celebrate with you. We've got to go out, and we've got to tell We've got to point people to God's word, lastly, because Jesus has a better message than Jonah. This whole book is not about us. It's not about Jonah. It's about God. It's about his grace. And last week we said Jesus is better than Jonah. This week I want to show you that Jesus has a better message than Jonah. Jonah preaches reluctantly to the Ninevites, to the sinners in Nineveh. Jesus pursues relentlessly the nations. Jonah goes into the city of his enemies. Jesus goes to the cross for his enemies. Jonah preaches the judgment of God to the Ninevites, and Jesus preaches the kingdom of God to the nations. Jonah's message brings temporary salvation and repentance to the Ninevites. Jesus' message brings eternal salvation to the nations. We need to take people to God's word Because this whole thing from beginning to end is about Jesus. And Jesus has a better message than, hey, you got 40 days before you get destroyed. Jesus's message, listen up, is a bad news, good news message. All Jonah brought was bad news. Jesus brings bad news and good news. Jesus tells you the bad news. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That listen, every single person in here, whether you think you're that bad or not that bad, I've heard so often, I'm really not that bad. I don't know that I need, I don't know that I need to like have this great repentance turn around in my life because I don't really do anything bad. You understand? Being bad is more than just lying. Being a sinner is more than just telling a lie or, or doing bad things. It's it's in our nature that we worship ourselves more than we worship Jesus. It's in our nature that we care more about me than I do anything else. Every person in here, that's our, that's our biggest enemy is the one who looks at us in the mirror. No one lies to you more than you. No one leads you astray and descend more than you. No one causes you to stumble more than you. No matter what people have done to you in your lives, and listen, I understand, sometimes people do horrible things to us. I've been a recipient of that. Nobody's done more to you than you. And we got to get that we are, listen, just like Jonah was an enemy of Nineveh walking in. And he was not only hoping for the mercy of God in his own life, really hoping for the mercy of the, the king there in that city. We are enemies walking in God's world. The Bible says that we are hostile. And Romans 8 says we are hostile enemies. We're not neutral. This is bad news. This is bad news that the God of the universe is our enemy. And he, and he ought to kill you and destroy you and send you to hell for eternity. He ought to. That would be, that would be right for him to do that. But then there's good news. Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, while we were still actively enemies against God, he initiated reconciliation and he died on a cross. He took your death. And he, he, he took it. He took that price that, that, would, just, that would, would bring justice to you. And he said, I'll take that. I'll pay it. While we were still sinners, Christ died on the cross for us so that we could have hope in him. Because His unbelievable, relentless grace, not only for a rebellious prophet, not only for a rebellious people, but for you. And yes, God does love you. God has a plan for you. And he wants you to be with him. But that requires repentance. And repentance requires brokenness. And brokenness requires an understanding of the bad news. And we have to deliver that message. And we've got to go and we've got to tell others as well. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would be overwhelmed by your grace and mercy. Lord, that you, you would break us for our sins and Lord for those of us that maybe even we've thought we were saved and we've played this religious game our whole lives and been going to church for forever Lord that you would break us this morning that your Holy Spirit would break us and help us to understand our need for your relentless grace Lord that we can't do this on our own and Lord I pray that you would be with those that are, that are held by addictions right now Lord that that you would You would help them know the answer to the question, who knows, that the king of Nineveh asked. They would know that you're the answer. Lord, that we would be overwhelmed by your kindness and your grace, and Lord, that we would be compelled to tell others, to go and tell others about you. Lord, I thank you also that even if I struck out up here, is your Holy Spirit that can bring people to repentance. And I pray that they'll do that. In Jesus' name I pray.